Welcome to Definitely Different, the podcast, where no topic is off limit, definitely different indeed, and invites you to new possibilities. Welcome to a different world. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Definitely Different podcast episode. And today I am joined by Dr. Adriana Popescu, all the way from San Francisco, California. Hello, welcome. Thank you, Evie, so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here with you today. You are very welcome and thank you. Um, I'm very excited about today's topic. I think I say that every time. Um, how did I get so lucky to talk about such uh, cool topics with so many cool people? So um, you are, let me just give a little intake before I go on to the topic. So um, Adriana, you are a licensed clinical psychologist. You are an addiction and trauma specialist. And then you are also an empowerment coach. Um, and today's topic is um, about uh, addiction and how to deal also as a family with addiction. Um, I'm very, very curious um, what you're going to uh, what you're going to share with us about because you also have like a, a book in process. What if you're not as fucked up as you think you are? So I'm also curious about that. And um, yeah, maybe let's start with, because um, like I am for all of you, uh, well, you already know it as well. And then the people, uh, maybe um, you don't know it, but um, I'm Evie Mobok. So I, uh, I started the definitely different podcast like a little while ago to have topics like this, this um, out there in the world about all the topics that people are not really necessarily talking about, like more like about the taboos. And I grew up, which was kind of a taboo. I grew up in a family who was like highly addicted, highly addicted to drugs. My dad more than my mom. Um, my dad even died through it. Uh, so he never made it on the other side. And um, yeah, it like it brought up some stuff with me, like my upbringing wasn't the easiest to say. Um, yeah, just to uh, have it a little description. It wasn't the easiest. I'm not like bringing it down. Um, but I wonder if I don't know, like if I would have known some information, like what you are about to share with us, if things could have been different. So, um, Dr. Adriana, the floor is yours. Well, thank you. Yes, I have a lot to say on this topic. Um, having worked in the field of addiction treatment for over 20 years and in mental health even longer and um, currently still working with addiction and trauma because the two go hand in hand. That's one thing to know. Um, yeah. and, and at a women's drug and alcohol treatment program where I'm the clinical director. And one of the things that I see so often um, is that many of the clients that I treat who have their own addictions also grew up in a family where there was one or more family members who were addicted. Um, we know that this stuff tends to run in families. And of course, there's, you know, a whole genetic conversation. But I, you know, as an energy psychologist, I use a lot of energy psychology tools and other types of energy work, um, which I find super helpful. 
I definitely think taking a holistic approach to any kind of issue we're working on is key. So I tend to see things through the energetic lens. And so for you, the, this conversation, growing up in a home where there is addiction, what energetic impact does that have on the kids and the loved ones of a person who has an addiction? And it's pretty tremendous, um, particularly in your, like in your case, when you're talking about parents. So, I mean, it starts as far back as you being a baby inside your mom's womb, you know, when you, at that point, you don't really have a, a sense of separate self. So you're just swimming in mom's reality. What is she, what she's thinking, what she's feeling, all of her emotions, all of her traumas, you're swimming in all of that. And you're like a little sponge absorbing it. So a lot of times when I'm working with clients in general, and I'm, we're looking for what's the origin of this issue, this problem, this anxiety, whatever it is, sometimes it goes all the way back to, to in the womb, in the in utero time. Um, because uh, again, you take on so much from mom, just from that. Right. Yeah. Yep. So it starts there and then you're born. And then what's the environment that you're living in? Usually in a home with addiction, there can be a lot of chaos. Um, there can be violence. There can be like angry, moody, you know, um, throwing things, you know, that type of stuff that's can be very scary, can be very traumatic for a child to witness fighting, you know, between intoxicated people, um, possibly physical, emotional, or sexual abuse. Certainly that can come up. Um, and then, uh, and, and that's really important too, you know, the, the trauma piece is so big here. There, there's something called vicarious traumatization that not a lot of people realize. People think trauma has to be something horrible that happened to you. You were attacked, you were raped, you were, you know, in a fire or some sort of disaster. Um, but there's, but just as powerful as those things can be vicarious traumatization. So like for me growing up with um, angry parents, not necessarily addicted parents, but there was a lot of fighting and there was some violence and screaming and stuff. And that was hugely traumatic for me. I mean, it was yeah. terrifying. Um, and that had an impact. So, um, even just witnessing, even if you yourself were not personally abused or harmed emotionally and psychologically, it is traumatic to witness that type of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> I mean, I could say so many other things with addiction also tend to come mental disorders. A person who has an addiction is more likely to have something like depression or PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, or bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, something like this. And that's because they're, you know, maybe they're self-medicating with the drugs and alcohol or whatever. I mean, there's a huge connection and overlap between those. So it can be just as traumatic to have um, a parent with a mental health diagnosis if they're very unstable. And, um, you know, and then the other version of addiction can show up in a different way not where it's so intense and violent and angry and that kind of thing, but where it's avoidant, where you never see um, mom or dad, or they're just like staring in front of the TV with a beer in their hand, just sort of blank. Or mom's always hiding out in her room, depressed and drinking or taking drugs or whatever. And then they're just never around. And so rather than overt abuse, that's more like neglect. Yeah. And that also has a huge impact on children, because this is the time, especially up until the age of seven, 
um, what science tells us is that your brain, children's brains are in a trance state. Their brain waves are mostly theta, which is the same brain waves you see in deep states of meditation and hypnosis. So basically until the age of seven, kids are being hypnotized by whatever's going on around them. That's why they believe in Santa Claus. It's why they believe in the, you know, everything magical is very real to them, you know, because they're highly suggestible. So think about it. And you can tell me, you know, in your own life, maybe how this impacted you. If you are growing up in a home where there is abuse or there is neglect, um, what do you, what does a child like that come to believe about themselves, right? If mom is always hiding out in her room drinking and she's never attending to you, then you in your simple logic, because kids have a very simple logic. If I'm, they're taught, if I'm good, I get rewarded. If I'm bad, I get punished. So if anything bad is happening, like I'm being neglected or maybe I'm being hit, maybe I'm being yelled at, then it must be my fault. Kids are going to come to the conclusion. It must be my fault. There's something wrong with me or I'm bad. I'm not enough. And this is how core beliefs get formed. They're not true. And a lot of the work I do with my adult clients is go back to challenge some of those belief systems. Like, well, what if that wasn't true about you? What if there was nothing wrong with you? What if, you know, um, mom or dad or whoever had issues that they were projecting onto you? What if you were highly sensitive, empathic, and you absorbed mom and dad's own beliefs about themselves, you took that on. I mean, what if you're not the one who's fucked up? Love that. Um, yeah, well, a lot of the things what you just said, I think the only thing that didn't uh, occur for me was like sexual abuse. And it also depended on the parents. Like, I think my mom was more like actively, my dad was more like um, neglect. Um, off his, in his own world and my mom was like um, she was like very I think like bipolar that way like she could be like uh, for weeks in her bed and be neglect and and then she would be like um, yeah she had like uh, whims of, of violence and I wouldn't say like highly abusive violence but there there was um, some and I, I remember and um uh, it took me years um, in my adulthood to like change it. But I always used to be on like high alert. I was always like on the watch of the next thing, what's going to happen. So I think like when I compared myself with a lot of kids from my own age, I didn't really undertook the same adventures as most kids. I was more like, I think I did that more as I grew up older in my 20s. Because before I always had to like be on the watch for something bad to happen and to um, yeah make sure that it wouldn't happen. Um, and then it did. And then, uh, yeah, it's, it does something with you as a kid. Like what you say, uh, you, you really think uh, that it's, that's your fault. So you try to prevent to not be a, a, a bad kid. <laughs> Well, a lot of kids, it's interesting you bring that up. Um, one of the patterns that you'll see is a lot of times the kids of parents who are addicted grow up quite straight edge, grow up not staying very far away from drugs and alcohol and things like that. And they instead swing to the end of being per perfectionism, you know, like being the good kid, being perfect, getting it all right, becoming in some cases control freaks in, in almost an obsessive kind of way 
right? So that they never become as effed up as mom and dad, right? I, I had a roommate in college who was like that. She never even touched drugs or alcohol because of what she witnessed with her parents, but she went so far the other way that there was like no room in her world for like anything out of her control, right? She was just so rigid in that kind of perfect and everything. Uh, she had such high standards of herself, you know, that she was always holding herself to these perfectionist standards, which, you know, also created a lot of issues for her. Yeah, I do recognize that. Like me, me and my sister, we were like the both uh, the only kids in the family. We both experimented with drugs. I'm going to be very honest. But I always had like this. I was, I think like, and I see it with my sister as well. There, My perfectionism or like my control freak was like always there that I, I always controlled all the drugs that I took. It was so interesting because I could never understand people getting addicted to drugs or alcohol because I was really in control of it, like highly. Well, you might have even been hypervigilant, you know? I mean, that is one of the, the symptoms of, of... So one of the things that happens for kids who grew up in those chaotic type homes, um, again, where there's maybe mental illness or there's addiction, it's not safe. I mean, this is, it's a safety issue, you know, like you don't always feel safe as that kid. And so you get hyper, you may already be very sensitive and empathic and aware, but you're going to be hyper aware in that kind of circumstance, because you need to make sure that when dad comes home, you know, uh, you know, if he's in a bad mood, you better know if he's in a bad mood or not, you better know if he's been drinking or not, because if you don't know, you might say the wrong thing, or you might get hit, or you might get yelled at. And so um, it is a trauma response, really, to that type of environment to become hypervigilant. And that's where you're always like, it's like your nervous system is always in a state of fight flight, you know, that fight flight freeze response. And so you're having to always be in control and always be on the lookout for something bad to happen. Um, which in and of itself is part of the reason why some people end up turning to drugs and alcohol because they're, at least my client, <laughs> think, is yeah. because they're constantly in this hyper aroused state. They're super anxious all the time and it's exhausting. And so they seek comfort. They seek to let go of that need for control in, in an alcohol or drug induced state, you know, where they tend to relax more and their nervous system calms down. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that is very recognizable. So how do you like as a, of course, like as a, uh, as a licensed therapist, um, you probably have like uh, people uh, that want to get over their drug addiction. Um, but do you also like uh, work with families and their kids? And is there like things that you um, could tips and tricks that you give with them? Or like, how do you go with that? Yeah. Well, I don't work with families. Um, I do sometimes work with couples. Um, <clears throat> I primarily work with adults. Earlier in my career, I worked with kids. I just enjoy working with adults more. <clears throat> so I have, um, I definitely will give people resources. I mean, there's organizations that are very helpful for family members of loved ones who have addictions. And that's Al-Anon or Alateen, right? These are kind of based on the 12-step AA model. Those are free support groups. They're all over the world. Um, there's also ACOA, Adult Children of Alcoholics. Um, and, you know, if you have show notes, maybe you want to like add these in there. Um, that's also a really good organization. 
Um, there's lots of books. Um, you know, there's a book called Children of the Self-Absorbed. That might be an interesting read. Um, it Didn't Start With You is another book that's not specifically about addictions, but it's about the role of families in like um, how, how issues get passed down, you know, from through the generations, through families. That's a Mark Wallen. That's an interesting book. Um, so I tend to give clients resources and then um, because they, it, it's helpful to, because so much of the time, especially with addiction, families end up being a closed system and there's a lot of secrets, right? There's a lot of things we're hiding um, and there's a lot of shame that comes with that, with the skeletons in the closet. And so when people can talk openly about their experiences, whether it's with addiction or being the loved one of someone with addiction or mental health um, issues, being able to talk to other people who understand is really important. So I'm a big fan of these types of support groups um, or therapy groups. And then for family members of people with mental health illnesses, there's um, an organization called NAMI, N-A-M-I, um, that is the national uh, or something alliance for the mentally ill. I forget what it all stands for, but N-A-M-I. And that's similar to like AA, but on the mental health side. So that's mm -hmm. one thing. Um, so I give people resources. I help them understand because that's to normalize the experience. You, again, this is something that happens to a lot of people. You're not unique. There is support. Others understand. And so you don't have to suffer alone. I think that's really important. Um, and then when I'm working with um, people, children of addicted or kids, you know, people who've had mental uh, health issues or abuse or all that. When you're the child of somebody like that, I work a lot with my clients around their, these core beliefs. Like, so as a result of having those experiences, what did you, usually it's subconscious, people aren't aware of it. It's like becomes part of your programming. But what did you come to believe about yourself and the world as a result of these experiences? And how are those beliefs negatively impacting you now? Because for example, if you grew up in a home where you were neglected or abused and you came to believe um, I don't matter or there's something wrong with me or if you were abandoned in some way, uh, everyone always leaves me, you might have a belief like that, what do you think you're gonna attract into your world? You're gonna probably attract people, places and things that are gonna mirror back to you that belief and so you'll attract the unavailable partner who will inevitably leave you and, and then, and then you'll use that as proof to say, well, see, I am unlovable. Everybody does leave me. Right. So usually I'm looking at what's stuck in your life now, what's not working and what are those limiting beliefs, those points of view, where did they come from and um, how do we challenge them and change them? Because what if they were lies, you know, like I work with, um, I wrote a workbook called conscious recovery um, based on a book that my colleague TJ Woodward wrote called Conscious Recovery. And he calls these core beliefs, core false beliefs. So I really work with my clients to help them understand, like, what if this was a lie? What if this was never yours? What if you picked it up from someone else? Um, what if it's not actually true? What if you're not a, a defective, broken person? Like, what other way is there to see this? And that's really what my book is about. Um, that's what I'm really trying to empower people to see themselves from a different perspective 
and not just continue to operate from the same unconscious limiting perspectives that they picked up in a dysfunctional family system. Wow. Yeah, I love that. And um, yeah, that really uh, reads uh, also for me. I've, I've worked on a lot of these core beliefs, but uh, they were like affecting me. Um, like I still, there's like still stuff that comes up. I think like one of my core beliefs was like, I always had like this uh, self-loathing and like never, it, I was like never enough. There was also always something wrong with me and there was always something that I needed to work on with everyone every job, every relationship, every friendship, um, till I was like fed up with everything. And then I really started to like um, do self-development. Yeah. With different modalities and try, try different things um, just to like really, cause it's, if you don't look at it, um, like nothing changes. Like well, you exactly. keep making, yeah, you, it's like you, what you said before, like you, uh, or I don't know if you exactly said it like that, but it's like you, I was like walking my life in my mom's steps, in my mom's life steps. I was like doing the exact same thing, but just a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. You mimic them. And that's what happens with these, these beliefs it's it's like in AA they say you know insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result you have to be willing to do the deeper digging to get at what are the glitches in your thinking and how you're seeing your you know the the distortions you know in, in cognitive behavioral therapy we call them the cognitive distortions the glasses through which you see the world and yourself that are generally pretty distorted you know just in this reality in general um, but particularly in that type of setting, growing up in, in like the kind of situation you talk about, the good news is, like you say, you know, there are tools, there are very powerful tools and approaches that we can use from traditional psychology, as well as from the more innovative holistic therapies that I do. There are many, many tools to change the way you think, which will change how you feel about yourself. Because underneath that self-loathing, there is a belief, a core belief right? That's probably a lie that probably didn't even come from you. You know, I would invite you to look at, well, did mom or dad think that they were not enough in some way? You know, what, where, where did it come from? How far back does it go? Maybe it goes way back in the generations, right? Yeah. Um, and, and what if it's not you? What if that's not who you are? Like TJ in the book, you know, Conscious Recovery talks about you are fundamentally, you know, you as an infinite being or you as your authentic essential self, you know, that unique spark, your soul, your spirit, whatever you want to call it, you come in with that. And it's fundamentally unharmed and unharmable, right? Yeah. We learn how to judge. We we're taught how to judge. We learn how to make ourselves wrong. We don't come in with that. You don't see little, little children running around making themselves wrong. Um, this is all part of sort of the, the domestication of the human, which is a term, you know, I love to quote from Don Miguel Ruiz, the guy who wrote the four agreements. Um, we're all domesticated here by this reality to, you know, um, fit in and we're told we're supposed to be like this and not be like that. And all of that's happening in those early years when you're most hypnotizable, but we now have tools and techniques 
to identify what those things, beliefs are, when they happen, where they came from, and then change them. Yeah, so true. One of the things that you are also uh, touched and I wanted to bring back is, um, so one of the things that I've noticed is if you are trying to hide, like I remember I tried to hide my, my whole life, I tried to hide how uh, I thought, I, how I fucked up I was. Like I really, I really said sometimes to people like, be aware I'm fucked up goods. Um, especially like when people were, like, were coming close, but like for everybody else, I was trying to hide that so much. And even like the family I grew up with, like for example, like my grandma, my grandpa, they were, they had like that shame of um, having drug abuse and the family and, and having all that misery so I really grew up with like we need to hide this you can't tell this to people uh, but one of the things that I've noticed is um, actually bringing bringing it out out loud allows it to change is there like anything um, that you could like speak to uh, in terms about that like that hiding um yeah. Well, I think it speaks, you know, what I was saying before about secrets. I mean, that's part of it is like hiding. The thing is, if you think about hiding, you have to put up walls, right? Yeah. And the walls don't know what they're supposed to keep out. So they keep out oh. everything, right? So in hiding you, um, like imagine if you like put up a, you know, a bricks all around and you're like in a tower, okay? You're locked in the tower. It's like, okay, so maybe you're protecting yourself. Maybe you're keeping bad energies that you've decided are bad because, you know, like what you experienced with mom or dad. Sure, you might be keeping that stuff out, but you're also keeping out all the good stuff, including yeah. love, affection, um, money, all those that are nothing can come in and then you can't come out. So the world doesn't ever get to see all of you. The world only sees parts and pieces, your image, which you've decided is okay to show to the world. There's a lack of vulnerability. And what we know is if you actually allow yourself to be vulnerable, if you let the walls and barriers come down, that's when the healing occurs. That's when you can access that unharmed, unharmable self because most people are, have cut themselves off. That's what real, when we talk about spiritual disconnection in this conscious recovery stuff, that's where, that's where it starts. Spiritual disconnection doesn't start with I'm disconnected from God or higher power or whatever. It starts with you. I'm disconnected from myself, my true self. I'm living from this lie that I'm fucked up and defective and I need to hide it. And so I'm going to put on this perfect image and look at, look at me. I'm superwoman. I can do it all and, do it, and whatever. And on the mean, meanwhile, on the inside, you're dying, you know, or you're like full of shame. Yeah. Um, but when you let all the walls and barriers come down and you're willing to look at be vulnerable and look at and speak to, speak out loud those things that you've given so much power to these horrible secrets. And then, you know, someone sitting next to you is like, I've had the same thing. And someone else is like, yeah, me too. Suddenly it takes all of the shame out of it. And then that takes the power out of it. So it no longer has power over you. And that's the em empowerment piece, right? Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Um... I think we, we covered like a lot. Um, so everybody else out there who is um, listening to this, um, if you know anybody or if you're like, you know, in this situation yourself, um, I'm going to, um, in the notes, in the show notes, 
gonna add like lots of links where you can um you know go and get get forward with the next step um and yeah please know that um you're not alone and like adriana says with her book you what if you're not as fucked up as you think you are um and yeah just uh keep going um I, I totally got out of it. Like I am now 38 and I'm proud to say that like I totally outgrew it, all of it. Um, and I'm not going to pass on the same on to the next generation. Well, I don't have any kids, <laughs> um, but still like I'm not going to pass it on um, energetically. So I'm very proud of that. And uh, I would like for the world to know out there that it's actually really, truly possible. Yes. And when you heal yourself, you do, you have that ripple effect in the world, not just like, yes, changing your, your own future generations, your lineage, but also think of when we throw a rock in a, in a pond and it has that ripple effect, you doing your healing, you doing the work you are, um, challenging those core false beliefs, um, you know, uh, becoming more vulnerable, connecting with your true self, like all of that has a positive ripple in the world. And if enough people are doing that work, that's how the world changes. And that's really like my big, bigger vision is I want to live in a kinder, more caring, less judgmental, less pain and suffering kind of world. This is how it starts is one person at a time. And it ripples out from there. I love that. That is such a great way to finish this podcast <laughs> thank you thank you so much um yeah thank you very much everybody who was listening thank you dr adriana and um yep see you uh, hear you guys on the next definitely different episode bye thank you bye If you enjoyed this podcast, please share with your friends and family and follow us on one of the many platforms that podcast is available or subscribe to my email list.